a new series this morning, and uh, our new series has to do with spiritual warfare. And uh, spiritual warfare is uh, uh, a challenging thought sometimes. When, when I told Kathy what the series was for the summer, she said, oh no, <laughs> because uh, often we uh, who teach and preach, and, and you as well, uh, sometimes we feel attacked in those very areas where we are preaching. But my, my, my challenge this morning uh, in this kind of an overview of spiritual warfare is that we, we leave here this morning with a balanced approach to spiritual warfare. Uh, not really an oh no, but a balanced approach this morning. So uh, the title this morning is, is Three Ways That We Are Naive as Christians. You know that I'm a Vietnam veteran, so I'm going to give you a little history. Uh, and, and young people, you're groaning already, but, but don't. Uh, someday you'll appreciate history, especially when it involves you. Uh, so uh, this was the 40th anniversary this year of when we left Vietnam in 1975. Some of you remember the chopper that was leaving from the, uh, uh, what was that building? It was the... Um, Pardon me, embassy, thank you. And uh, that's an awful picture in the mind of a lot of Vietnam veterans because we gave, many of us gave our lives and gave a lot to that country. And so I want to talk just a little bit about that when, when we left Vietnam. So I think that we as a nation, a country, we are naive uh, a lot of times uh, in, in this country in regard to to say warfare. Um, we had a major victory in, in World War II. Uh, it was a war that we got into reluctantly. We really didn't want to be involved. Everybody thought after World War I, that was the war that would end all wars. And then when World War II came along, people were like, oh my goodness, I can't believe. And, and so the United States reluctantly got involved, but then we had this great victory. And, and we were like, oh, you know, thank God, we were so victorious over an evil enemy, you know, the Germans and the Japanese. And then immediately following that, there was a war in Korea, and the United States was tired of war. And people, it's kind of like the forgotten war. Men that fought in Korea are often not talked about uh, because people were so sick and tired of war, they didn't even want to hear about it. But it was a war where we kind of went in maybe a little bit naively, thinking that we could march all the way to China and defeat the communists in Korea. And it didn't work. We stopped at 38th parallel, and, and we came to a, a tie, if you will, and we came to an agreement. But there was some uh, naivete as we went into Korea. And then, not long after that, probably 10 years down the road, uh, Vietnam became an issue. And another reason to think about history is there's lessons to learn from history. The French had fought in Vietnam, and they had fought exactly the same type of war that we were going to fight, and they failed miserably. But we as the United States thought, well, <laughs> that's the French. We didn't have a high opinion of them after World War II and their fighting skills. And so we thought, okay, we can go into Vietnam and we can really change things. 
And there was a lot going on in history, if you think about it. Uh, there was the domino theory. And the domino theory was that if uh, Vietnam fell like a domino in, in Southeast Asia, then it wouldn't be long till Laos fell and Cambodia fell. And it was a domino theory. So we believed that. And we look back and think perhaps there was some naivete in there. But there was truth in there as well. So huh, we sent troops to support the Republic of South Vietnam. And in 1968, this is what happened. The North Vietnamese Army and the Viet Cong mounted uh, a large-scale offensive. And some of you might remember it was called the Tet Offensive. And it happened in 1968. And here's what happened. They were able to, all across the country, attack in, in various places. And so this was the first time in history where Americans could watch a war on TV. The 6 o'clock news would come on. How many of you remember Walter Cronkite? Yeah, we, Walter Cronkite was like a father image. People really listened to him, and he was an excellent man. And so in 1968, when the communists attacked all over Vietnam, Walter Cronkite made a couple of statements. He, he said that, uh, uh, that it was possible that we were mired in a stalemate and that there was going to be the possibility of needing to negotiate for peace. And that's when the American people began to lose heart about this war. That was the turning point. And you know the reality of it was is that we won that battle. Uh, resoundingly, everywhere they attacked, we, we beat them back, and their losses were phenomenal. But the people's perspective was that we possibly were going to lose this war. And so the people lost interest, and, and they lost heart. And the Congress that represented them pulled the money away, and we backed away from that war because of the public's perspective. So the definition of naive, and that's from the title here, is that we make assumptions based on ignorance. I want you to think about that. We make assumptions based on ignorance. We had some ignorance when we went into Vietnam and, and into Korea, so there was a little bit of naivete there. It's an inability to grasp a situation. We certainly didn't understand when we went to Vietnam the history of that country. You know that the Vietnamese people have been in war Almost all through history, they've been attacked by the Japanese, the Chinese, the French, the Americans. And you know what? They really were tired of war. <laughs> and they, they just wanted peace in their country. They wanted to be able to go to work and farm and be left alone. And we were ignorant of that. They actually loved the American people because we helped them and we cared about their kids. And, and so, uh, you know, there's one good thing about that. But... Uh, it's a tendency to oversimplify complex things. That's part of being naive. So all of those things we can see from history, and I just want to draw a point from that, and you'll say, it took you all this time to get to that point? <laughs> you know what? Uh, God's Word has a lot to say about the danger of Christians being naive when it comes to spiritual warfare. I'm going to show you that from the scripture. We can be very naive when it comes to spiritual warfare. 
And I believe that we are. And, and you know, many times God says in the scriptures, I would not have you to be ignorant. You're, you know some of the places where he says that? First Thessalonians and, and all through the scriptures. I do not want you to be ignorant. He doesn't want us to be naive. And so this morning, uh, just quickly pray with me. Father, we do need to hear from you on this essential topic this morning and the topic for this summer, God. And I pray that you will teach us and encourage us and strengthen us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first point I want us to see this morning is we fail. Uh, this is one of the ways that we're naive, is we fail to remember to be as wise as serpents. Huh. Isn't it interesting that the first description of Satan is as a serpent, and then the Lord Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 10 and 16, he says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So obviously, the Lord knows that there's danger in this world. And, and he says, so we're to be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And then Genesis 3.1 says, as I've already alluded to, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. So in a sense, God is telling us that we need to be crafty. <laughs> we need to be, in a sense, as, as wise as a serpent. So here's three things that I see about us as Christians. We're not always mature as Christians. A lot of us have been sitting in churches for our whole life. And uh, other than a, maybe a 10-year period in my life where I rebelled from the Lord, I've been sitting in churches most of my life. And uh, the Lord has something to say to us that have been sitting in churches for a long time. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 5. You know I love the book of Hebrews. And... Uh, I want us to look at verses 11 to 14. And I want you to imagine, because it's true, that the Lord God is speaking this to us this morning here at Indian Creek. Here's what he says. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. I want to stop there just for a minute. You know, every one of you that have been sitting in churches for a long time, and, and don't take this as an insult, every one of you probably in this building, maybe with the exclusion of some younger people, you ought to be teachers by now. We've been sitting under the doctrine of the Lord, and in some way we should be teaching other people. And I love that the writer of Hebrews says, by this time you ought to be teachers, yet you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. He says you need milk, not solid food. Well, it's babies that need milk all the time, and that's what he's saying. Uh, you need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Can you see that in the battle that we're talking about this morning, spiritual warfare? 
that we need to be mature in God's word so that we can discern good from evil. And that's what he's saying, brothers and sisters. And I've used this illustration before, but forgive me. A little church that I was part of, and a lot of these people were in Village Bible Church. Uh, I remember uh, a friend, uh, George John Vier, a missionary, he and I taught evangelism to this group. And then I remember 20 years ago, uh, later, after we had taught evangelism, uh, this same group saying, Dave, we need somebody to teach us evangelism. And I thought to myself, what do you mean? We've taught evangelism for 20 years. Let's just go do evangelism. You know, let's tell people about Jesus. So that's my challenge to our congregation this morning. One of them is, <laughs> let's be about the business of becoming mature taking solid food in the Word of God, meditating on it, and and growing. And and, uh, we need that in order to recognize spiritual warfare. So we're not always mature. The second thing I see is that we're easily misled, aren't we? Yeah. (laughs) Think about it. Jesus said in a couple places, see to it that no one leads you astray and be on your guard. No one leads you astray. So Thursday, when I went to the Illinois Youth Center, it was, an, it was a challenging morning at the Illinois Youth Center. Um, there was a wise guy in the group, and he immediately mimicked me when I said something. And so I wondered if I was going to you know, be able to control it. And, and actually, the Lord brought the whole thing together, and people listened very carefully. But I asked them a question, because we were talking about, what are the things that lower your guard? talking about, you know, if you're, you're a man of God, if you're going to be a real man according to the scripture, one of the first things it says is to be on your guard. So I was saying, okay, what are the things that lower your guard? And the first answer I got, and I thought, that's great. He said, is we're hanging with the wrong people. We're being misled by other people. And <laughs> young people hear that for sure. Sometimes we hang with the wrong people. And they will lead us astray. And, and that's not just young people. We're all uh, susceptible to being led astray. So the, God, Jesus said, see to it that no one leads you astray. Uh, we talked about some other things that let your guard down. We talked about alcohol and drugs and pornography. And, and we got down to all, the, all of these things lower your guard. But Jesus said we're easily misled. So turn to Romans 16 with me, will you? I want you to see these scriptures because they're, they're powerful and, and they, they're pertinent to what God is saying this morning. I'm looking at Romans 16 and verses 17 to 20. Here's what it says. I'll give you a minute to get there. Paul's writing. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine. (laughs) See, if we're mature, we know what the doctrine is. Contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught, avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. He's talking about in the church. (laughs) We've got to watch in the church sometimes who we follow. Uh, They serve their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. You see that there? The word naive is right there in the scriptures. 
Yes, we can be naive. We're easily misled. It says, for your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. And then it says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. That's a great passage. It really is. Uh, watch who you follow. Be careful. Uh, and uh, be wise as to what is good. Be, don't be naive. Be mature and innocent as to what is evil. And then the God of peace will crush Satan. Great promise. So not only are we easily misled, but sometimes we're mindless. And this is a little harsh, really. I'm just going to say it out. Sometimes we're just stubborn and stupid and disobedient. You're going to say, whoa, that sounds pretty harsh. But I can put myself in that company, so uh, I, I understand. Uh, you know what, though? Listen to what God says in Jeremiah 4.22. And he says this to Jeremiah about his people. So you think that I'm not just being harsh. Jeremiah chapter 4 and verse 22. I've got it here. It says, For my people are foolish. They know me not. They are stupid children. They have no understanding. They are wise in doing evil. But how, do the, how to do good they know not. Did you, did you see that in the scripture? That's, that's amazing. He's talking about his own people. And there are times when that describes me. You know, you, I prepare these messages. I'm going over it in my head. Yesterday, I was riding my bike somewhere, and I said something to somebody who almost ran into me. And I thought, David, you are stupid, foolish, and you act like you don't know God sometimes. And it was just a reminder to me that I'm just like that. We're not mature sometimes. We're easily misled, and sometimes we just don't think about, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. I'm one of his children. I'm not being wise as a serpent. I'm being foolish. So we fail to remember to be wise as serpents. And all of these things we need to be in order to recognize spiritual warfare. Second thing I want us to see this morning is we fail to recognize that spiritual warfare is not a game. <laughs> 1 Peter 5.8, you're familiar with that passage? It says your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Wow. There's some movie, and I don't see many movies, but I see the highlights on TV. There's some movie that's coming out now about animals turning around. and What's it called? Jurassic Park. And the lions and all the animals are turning around, and they're going to take over and kill all the people. It's like, oh, my goodness. you know. And, and uh, I was thinking about that when I thought about what God says in his word, that be careful because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. So when we were discussing this, this uh, as pastors, we were discussing what we were going to title 
uh, this series and how we were going to display it. You, we didn't see the banner this morning, but uh, it's always fun for me because, you know, I'm working with young pastors and I think, you know, there's me at my age, and I won't say what it is, and then the next one's down around 40, and the rest of them are in their 30s and their 20s. And so it's always fun. And so they were talking about, okay, uh, this is what we're going to do. And Josue had a great idea. He actually did. Josue said, you know what? Um, uh, he said uh, that, I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to remember the phrase. He said spiritual warfare is not a game. And then he had drawn a little picture or showed a little picture of little army men, green army men, shooting at each other. And I loved that. I thought, oh, that was great. I could connect with that. Uh, spiritual warfare, it's not a game. How many of you played with little green army men? Come on. Yeah. Rubber bands and knocking those dudes over. Yeah. Spiritual warfare, it's not a game. It's really not a game. And, and I love that. But there was another part of the group that was young, and they said, hey, we want to call it Call of Duty. Well, for me, as a Vietnam veteran, I understood what Call of Duty, that was, you know, that's, yeah, I'm all about that, but apparently there's a video game called Call of Duty. And uh, a, a lot of you are going, yeah, well, I'd never heard of it. And, and apparently it's pretty violent. And I thought, why would we want to use something that's a video game when we're trying to say that spiritual warfare is not a game. And so we had that discussion. So I thought you might be interested in that. And apparently uh, we didn't use either one of those. But spiritual warfare is not a game. Um, you know that song? Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. You know, that shows me when I see people sing that song, how many people connect with that? I mean, we connect with it because we, we're prone. We really are. We're prone to wander away from the Lord. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Come and seal it. Seal it for that courts above. So it's, it's real. Um, it's real. It's not a game. If you look around you at the world, all the wounded people in this world and the dying people, it's, it's a serious issue. And, and, and we need to be aware that spiritual warfare is, is not a game. So <laughs> our enemy has declared war. That's the first thing I want us to see. Uh, if you turn to Isaiah 14, this is a description of, of Satan. A creation of God, uh, maybe one of the pinnacles of his creation. And, and starting in Isaiah 14, looking at verse 12, it says, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who had laid the nations low. You said in your heart, and here it comes, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. So I want you to see what's going on here. There's pride and then rebellion. And, and I want you to be able to connect with that. He says, you said in, in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. 
I will make myself like the Most High. That's pride. You know, if you don't struggle with pride, I'm going to, well, I'm going to just ask you to raise your hand this morning. Oh, Ed scratched his head. You almost got me there, Ed. I saw you scratching your head, brother. <laughs> uh, yeah. So pride and rebellion against God. And, you know, I don't understand how that happened. How could God create these angels, these wonderful angels, and how could one of them be so proud that he wanted to put himself above God. I don't understand that. I can't explain it, but it's true. And that's his declaration of war against God. I will ascend to heaven. I'll put myself above you. I'll make myself just like God. And we tend to be that way ourselves. We tend to want to be our own God. And we struggle with pride and issues. We need to recognize that spiritual warfare is not a game. And our enemy has a deployment strategy. <laughs> uh, it sounds like a military term, and it is. <laughs> so in warfare, the enemy, Satan, he's calculating, he's cunning, he's shrewd, and he's strategic. He's no dummy. I hope you're hearing that. He's very, very slick so to speak. And he has found a pattern that works. And as we go through the summer, these things will be explained more and more, so I can't dig too deep into these things. It's supposed to be an overview. But here's the pattern that I see. Satan plants doubt in our mind first. That's the first thing he does is he gets us to doubt God. And then the second thing he does is he corrupts us. He's, he kind of corrupts us in our mind, hoping that he can corrupt us in our flesh. So there's doubt, corruption, and then his goal is death. He wants to kill us. Satan is our enemy. He would love to kill people before they come to Christ, and even after. He's all about that. Doubt, corruption, and death. And if you don't believe me, turn to Genesis 3 just for a moment. You're familiar with this, but the pattern is established there. So let me point it out to you. Uh, in Genesis 3, the first five verses. <laughs> now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And here comes the doubt. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the, fr of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Here comes the doubt. But the servant said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. See that? Like God. That's the issue. Pride. <laughs> Knowing good and evil. Here comes the corruption. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate as well. And then if you look over at verse 19, here's what the Lord said. And by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. 
Do you see that? Doubt, corruption, and death. Satan's pattern repeated over and over and over again. His first plan is to destroy God's plan. Staying in Genesis 3.15 for a minute, we see that verse where the Lord says to the serpent in verse 15, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring, <laughs> Satan's offspring, and her offspring, the woman's offspring. Satan will be able to, uh, Jesus will be able to bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Jesus is the seed of the, off, of, of, of the woman. And, and there's the battle coming. And, and we're told right here that it's Satan's plan to destroy God's plan. <laughs> but praise God, we've got what we call the first gospel right here. The first gospel, technically called. And Gary, I know you don't like these words, but I'm going to throw you one of these words, Gary, okay? Proto-evangelium. You like that? It's kind of a Latin thing. It means first gospel. Proto is first, evangelism, gospel. So he, he, he reminded me he doesn't like real big words. But uh, pro, I love that word, proto-evangelium. It's the gospel for the first time in the scriptures right in Genesis. Praise God for that, that we know already about the victory there. <laughs> so he wants to destroy God's plan. And then just a quick overview. He wants to destroy God's people. <laughs> All through the scripture, in Job, Satan tried to get Job to curse God and die. <laughs> he took everything that Job had, and then he took his health. He, he attacked his body. He corrupted him. So he was looking for doubt and corruption and death, but we know that Job would not curse God and die. In Genesis 6, Satan attempted to corrupt the whole earth so that the seed of the woman would be corrupted. If you don't believe me, read Genesis 6 sometime. It's an amazing story. But it says, but God, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. I'm so thankful for that. The seed would be protected and Jesus would come forward. Doubt, corruption, and death. In First Chronicles 21 and 1, Satan stood against Israel and he incited David to number Israel. God had said, don't number your soldiers, don't number your people. But Satan incited David to do that, hoping that he could kill off the seed of the woman. We know that the fruit of David is our Lord Jesus. <laughs> that, was, that was his plan, to kill off the seed. And, and we, we, we see in Daniel and Revelation that the battle is described in vivid detail, and I don't have time to go into all that, but you see angels warring with one another. It's a very real battle. It's not a game. And we see in the New Testament that uh, Satan wanted to sift Peter like wheat. You remember where it says that? And he did. He sifted Peter like wheat, but, but Peter stood eventually for the Lord. And Satan filled the hearts of Ananias and Sapphira, Sapphira to lie to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and yet sometimes we don't think Satan can do that to us. Sometimes we don't, sometimes we don't give him the credence that he should have. Satan, the lawless one, disguised as an angel of light. All through the scriptures, all through history, the battle rages on. Uh, why don't we see it? You know, sometimes I think we're so sophisticated in America that we say, oh, well, you know what? You know what 
sophisticated. That's the mind, our own knowledge. And, and, you know, when Kathy and I were in Guatemala, we saw witch doctors on the steps of the church. And we saw evil just, it was right there. And, and yet in this country, we just kind of, oh, no, well, you, you know, this is, it's really, there's something psychological, sociological going on here, uh, you know, or it's, it's physical. It's not spiritual. It can't be spiritual. Well, we're ignorant sometimes about spiritual warfare. And, and I, won't, I won't give you details, but in my life when I rebelled from God in those 10 years, God opened my eyes one time to see things that I hope I would never see again. And it was part of him drawing me back to himself out of the depths of sin that I was in. It's real, folks, it's real. And I want us to see that spiritual warfare is not a game. We relegate everything to science and knowledge, and that's where Satan wants us to be. He's fooled us, he's tricked us. <laughs> Doubt, corruption, and death. His ultimate plan, destroy God's son. In the New Testament, remember Herod? <laughs> Herod tried to kill Jesus. He said, we're going to kill all those baby boys under two in Bethlehem and from the whole region. I'm going to kill them. He'd been given a warning to go to Egypt by God, and he was not killed. Remember when Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness? He wanted him to doubt God's word. He wanted to corrupt him, and he wanted to kill him. Very real. <laughs> and all through the Gospels, Jesus is in danger in his life. I just finished the Gospel of John in my personal reading. And for some reason, the Lord just pointed it out to me over and over and over and over again. Read the Gospel of John sometime looking for how many times it says his life is threatened. More than in any other Gospel. So Satan was always wanting to kill the seed of the woman. Satan entered Judas to betray Jesus to his executioners. Spiritual warfare is not a game, it's real. And you know what? Its manifestations are often physical. Yes, Satan attacks physically. And we see it physically in our world. <laughs> in a lot of ways, what he's done. And, and it's challenging for us to see that. <laughs> and you know what? The more damage that the enemy does, and he does, he's doing a lot of damage right now. <laughs> the stronger the enemy seems. Seems, I hear, hear that word. That's the stronger that he seems. Perception. <laughs> in the Tet Offensive in 1968, the enemy attacked everywhere, everywhere. And our perception was that he was winning the battle, but he hadn't. We defeated that enemy. And I want you to see before we leave this morning, I'm glad we're not stopping here. There's something that we've got to realize, and that's the last point. We fail to realize that the Lord is the winner. <laughs> so I don't want to leave here this morning having you go, oh my goodness, spiritual warfare. I don't want you to think that this morning. I want you to know that the Lord is the winner. 1 Corinthians 15, the sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory 
over death, victory over sin. That's the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. <laughs> and that's what we're about when you know the gospel. So the first thing I want you to see is that the Lord is far greater, far greater. No comparison between him and our enemy. We give the enemy way too much credit. How many of you are old enough to remember Flip Wilson? Okay, yeah. Flip Wilson. You remember one of those lines? The devil made me do it. <laughs> he was funny. He was very funny. In fact, he had an album out, uh, and it was called The Devil Made Me Buy That Dress. <laughs> uh, if you ever get to hear it, listen to it. It's hilarious. But... Some people literally see the devil behind every rock and tree. And they're always praying to, you know, against the spirit, the evil spirit. And I don't want to mock that, but I want us to be careful to understand that God is in control. It's real, but God is in control. Here's what Martin Luther had to say about the enemy. <clears throat> Martin Luther said he can do, talking about, the devil, he can do no more than a bad dog on a chain, which may bark, run here and there, and tear at the chain. <laughs> I love that picture. We're always afraid he's going to get loose. But God's got him on a leash, and he can't get loose. Understand that. It's hard to understand how in the world God can have Satan on a leash, but he does. He does. God is more powerful. <laughs> I love the words, but God. How can we forget some encouraging words from, from God's word? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. <laughs> Encourage yourself with those verses. That's from Isaiah 40. He's the Lord of lords. He's the king of kings. Encourage yourself with those words. <laughs> and then from 1 John 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. He's talking about overcoming the world. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The Lord wins, doesn't he? The Lord wins. He's already won. The next thing I want us to see is that the Lord fights our battles. We think in our own strength. Well, I just wrote down that phrase, in our own strength. How many of you realize how often we're trying to do things in our own strength? When I come to preach, that's always a challenge. Lord, I do not want to try and do this in my own strength because I'm going to fall flat on my face. Please give me the strength to do this. Moses told the children of Israel when the whole Egyptian army was bearing down on them. They just left, and now they're scared to death. And Moses says to them, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. In other words, he's saying, Be still, and know that I am God. Moses says later, It is the Lord your God who fights for you. We're not to fight Satan. Do you understand that? And we'll understand that more as it gets explained. <laughs> we flee. We do all kinds of other things, but it's not really our battle. In fact, 
<laughs> David said after slaying Goliath, the battle is the Lord's. And then another verse that says, the Lord is a warrior, the Lord is his name. Let him fight. Let him win. Lastly, I think this is really important. The Lord opens our eyes so that we need not fear. The king of Syria was really, really angry because every time he went to attack Israel, this is in 2 Kings, they knew he was coming. And the king thought there was a spy in their midst. But there was a servant, and I wonder if the servant was really a, uh, had been captured from Israel. He said, hey, there's no, there's, no, there's, there's nobody here that's a spy. He says, but Elisha, the prophet of God, he knows every word that you're whispering, even when you're in your bedroom. And he warns Israel every time you're coming. So the king of Syria, he sends a great army against Elisha and Israel. And I'm going to read from 2 Kings what happens here to close our message. If you want to turn there, you can. 2 Kings chapter 6. Starting in verse 14. So, king of Syria sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God, in other words, Elisha, he rose early in the morning, he went out, and behold, there was an army with horses and chariots all around the city. Can you imagine that? You know, those of you that have never been in a battle probably can't imagine this. But to get up, look out your window, and see a vast army of horses and soldiers just surrounding your whole place. It's overwhelming. We're done. We're toast. You know? What's going to happen here? <laughs> and here's what happens. <laughs> and the servant says, alas, my master. That's the same as we're going to be toast. What shall we do? What shall we do? He said, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Sounds a lot like that verse. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Doesn't it sound a lot like that? And then Elisha prayed, and he said, O oh Lord, please open the eyes of my servant that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. <laughs> His eyes were opened to see God and what he was doing. So I want to end this by asking something this morning. You know, we tend to have our eyes on the activity of the enemy, don't we? Yeah, we do. I mean, just if you listen to the news, you're going to hear about the activity of the enemy. It's all around us. And we as Christians, woe is me. The world is a horrible place. Things are bad. And, you know, there's some truth in there. I get that. We could be approaching the end times. I'm not putting that down. But <laughs> we need to ask ourselves, and ask the Lord to open our eyes to see him, to see his work, to see what he's doing. So I want to challenge us this morning as a church, and I think 
Phil may have already begun that when he, he stood up here this morning and said, this is what God is doing around the world. I love that. And so last week when Dan and team told us what God was doing in Uganda, our eyes were open. And when we, we had our outreach a couple of weeks ago and, and the Lord brought all those people, our eyes were open, really, to see what God is doing and what God wants to do. So my challenge this morning and the challenge for this series is as we go through this series, let's keep the proper balance. Spiritual warfare is not a game. Realize that the enemy is real. But most of all, realize that God is God and he is on his throne. The greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus, right? That's my prayer for this series. Let us see Jesus. The final word from the Lord is in Revelation. <laughs> and this is how it ends. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur and will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's from Revelation 20. The Lord wins. The Lord wins. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you win, Lord. I thank you that you inhabit us as your people. And you're great, Lord, in us, greater than he that is in the world. Give us a balanced perspective, Lord. Help us not to be foolish and pretend that it's not real, but I pray that we will not be fearful either, Lord, but that we trust in you. And God, I pray that you will open our eyes, that we may see you in all your glory and all your power and through your son Jesus.